2: The act of taking someone's life through poisoning has been around since ancient Rome and Greece, when it was the preferred method of assassination. Plants like nightshade, hemlock, oleander, and snake root were often mixed into a target's food or drink. These natural poisons became less useful in medieval Europe when antidotes were developed for many poisonous plants. Arsenic a naturally occurring chemical element found in different minerals, has also been a favorite type of poison since the first century. Arsenic is a stealthy poison. It's colorless, odorless, and has no taste. The effects it caused on the human body were similar to food poisoning. All of these factors made it very difficult to detect if someone was suffering from arsenic poisoning. In modern times, Poisoning is not a widely popular method of committing homicide. According to the National Capital Poison Center, out of 2.1 million poison exposures in 2019, 76.6% of those were unintentional, while 18.9% were intentional. And while the intentional portion may seem high, it's difficult to track how many of those were successful or attempted homicides. You'll see the focal point of this case is the involvement of an atypical form of poison. While it may seem like an archaic method of inducing harm, the case we're about to explore proves that it's a very modern threat.
3: Along the border of the Carolinas sits a lakefront community called Lake Wiley, It is considered a suburb of Charlotte, North Carolina, even though it is technically in York County, South Carolina. The lake itself crosses state lines with its shoreline stretching 325 miles, while the surrounding areas are afforded serene views. The lake is man-made and was formed by a dam in 1904. Lake Wiley attracts upper middle-class residents with a fondness for water recreation. Its low tax rates have an added appeal. This is the town Stephen and Lana Clayton called home. Their lavish estate situated along Island Forks Road was a replica of Mount Vernon, the palatial home of George and Martha Washington. With its broad white columns and 18th century Greek revival architecture, the Clayton's million-dollar lakefront home definitely stood out.
2: Lena had the distinction of being Stephen's seventh wife. Although he never had any biological children of his own, by all accounts, Stephen loved children. Lena had a boy and a girl from a previous marriage, Ryan and Kelsey, who were already adults when she met Stephen. Ryan and Kelsey also had children of their own. Stephen played the role of loving stepgrandpa to Hayden, Peyton, and Maisley. Stephen Clayton wasn't a South Carolina native. He was born on May 1, 1954, in Miami Beach, Florida. While little information is mentioned publicly of his mother, his father, Raul Clayton, was an accomplished businessman and philanthropist. He instilled his values of compassion and hard work into his five children, Stephen, Valerie, Patricia, Carmen, and Rosemary. Stephen's early years were spent in the Miami Beach area. He was a graduate of Miami Springs Senior High School, where he was celebrated as a versatile athlete who played football, ran track, and was involved in Greco Roman wrestling. Stephen also graduated from Miami Military Academy before earning a Bachelor of Science degree from Florida State in 1976.
3: he went on to become a certified public accountant. For a time, he put his skills to use in the finance department of Fort Lauderdale's Holy Cross Hospital. But his shining moment came when he founded and served as president and CEO of Physical Therapy Resources, a medical business specializing in sports injuries that grew on a national level. This business venture was so successful that Stephen was able to sell his company and retire in 1995 at the age of 41. He used his wealth to indulge his passion for international travel. Stephen also had many hobbies. He wrote poetry, collected fine art, loved to play golf and was passionate about hiking. He was also an avid horticulturalist. His Fort Lauderdale garden drew the admiration of all of its neighbours and he was more than happy to share gardening tips. In 2010, Stephen met a nurse online named Lana Walsh, who was also living in Fort Lauderdale at the time. Lana was an Oklahoma native who quickly stole Stephen's heart, despite his string of failed marriages. He quickly invited her to move in with him, and the couple seemed blissful to family members. Together, they adopted two greyhounds, Guinness and Stella.
2: Stephen and Lena got married in 2013 and decided to relocate to Lake Wiley, South Carolina. Lena's son, Ryan, lived close by, and Stephen had extended family in the area as well. Lena found work as a veteran affairs nurse in Charlotte, while Stephen spent his retirement mentoring others with entrepreneurial aspects and offering pro bono business consulting. He also volunteered on the editorial board of the Lake Wiley Pilot, a local newspaper that closed down in 2016. His role on the board deepened the respect he had in the community. It seems Stephen's personality didn't align with the snobby stereotype that often comes with being wealthy. His circle of friends came from all walks of life, from janitors to finance moguls. Stephen was just that personable and easygoing that he could get along with anyone, and come to view them as a member of his extended family. He often hosted parties at his estate that were the talk of the town, complete with catered food, live music, and fireworks.
3: The Claytons' life together was joyful, at least from the outside looking in. A bizarre incident in 2016 hinted at a hidden truth that wouldn't be fully realized until much later. On May the 30th, 2016, Lana contacted the York County Sheriff's Office to let them know she had accidentally shot her husband with a crossbow. At the time, she said she had been struggling to load the crossbow in the downstairs of their home. Frustrated, Lana went upstairs to seek out Stephen for help, but found him sleeping. According to her story... In hopes of not disturbing him, she started to move to another bedroom when the crossbow went off, striking Stephen in the back of the head. He woke up screaming in pain and bleeding from his wound. Deputies soon arrived at the Clayton residence to check on Stephen and interview him. He told officers he was fine and that the shooting was an accident. According to the police report, he said he didn't believe his wife was trying to kill him. When Nana was interviewed, she seemed upset and began crying. She told deputies her husband had never hit her, but he could quickly turn cruel and hinted as emotional abuse. Her allegations of abuse were never investigated.
2: After reviewing the incident, around a year later, deputies came to the conclusion it was an accident and declared in their report... No intent to commit a crime was found. No other incidents with police involvement occurred until nearly two years later, in mid-July of 2018. Stephen found himself seriously ill. His symptoms began on July 19th. First, he had an earache, which progressed into debilitating bouts of nausea and dizziness. Stephen's family knew he suffered from vertigo spells on occasion. And since Lena was a nurse, they felt he was in good hands. From July 19th to the 21st, Stephen was bedridden and barely conscious.
3: On the morning of July the 21st, 2018, a Vietnam veteran named James Blackledge was riding his motorcycle down Island Forks Road when he saw a woman running across her front lawn screaming. Lana flagged down the stranger and begged him to call 911 saying her husband had fallen down the stairs. While Blackledge was on the phone with the dispatcher Lana ran over to a neighbor's house for help. The neighbour Terry Floyd rushed inside where he found Stephen at the base of the stairs in the first floor's foyer. He didn't detect a pulse. When deputies arrived Lana explained she had checked on her husband at around 11am and he had been sleeping. After ensuring he had water and his medications by his bedside, she went out to mow the lawn. A few hours later, Lana came back inside to find her husband lifeless at the bottom of the stairs. Captured by police body cam footage, Lana conveyed her guilt over not checking on Stephen sooner. A friend came over and consoled her telling Lana, while she sobbed, not to blame herself. Stephen's nephew, Nick French, happened to be a police officer in a nearby town. When he heard of his uncle's sudden death, he rushed over to the mansion.
2: When Stephen was declared dead around 1pm, the deputy coroner told investigators she saw nothing suspicious. Her first impression at the scene was that the 64-year-old had died from a sudden heart attack. Stephen's nephew didn't agree with that assessment. Two details at the scene made Nick suspicious of his 53-year-old step-aunt. First, his uncle's cell phone was nowhere to be found, which Nick found odd since he knew Stephen always had his cell phone nearby. Second, Lena had made no attempts to perform CPR or resuscitate her husband in any way. When the topic of Stephen's funeral came up, Lena blurted out that she wanted to have him cremated. Adding to his suspicions, when Nick searched the couple's upstairs bedroom, there were indications his uncle had been bedridden for days. The bed was drenched with urine, a sign that he had been too ill to get out of bed. It didn't seem consistent with a random heart attack, When asked about the urine-soaked sheets, Lena claimed Stephen sometimes wet the bed when he suffered from vertigo.
3: Another nephew, Chris Fagan, arrived at the house to console Lana. She asked for his help in getting Stephen's affairs in order. When Chris brought up his uncle's will, which named Chris as executor, Lana denied that a will even existed. The next day, Chris and his wife called Lana to offer help in finding Stephen's will. But Lana told them not to come, insisting on handling everything herself. This was the last nail in the coffin of suspicion, so to speak. Stephen's family insisted on an autopsy and toxicology test. But Stephen's body was already at a nearby funeral home, scheduled for a cremation the following day. In an interview with CBS News, Nick French called it a race against the clock. Nick and Chris rushed to get in touch with the county coroner before Stephen could be cremated. They were in luck.
2: When coroner Sabrina Gast received the results of the autopsy and the toxicology report, she knew it hadn't been a heart attack that killed Stephen Clayton. While the autopsy didn't find anything suspicious, the toxicology results revealed the presence of a chemical called called tetrahydrozoline, or THZ. While standard toxicology doesn't test for this type of poison, a private lab conducted extensive testing. Forensic toxicologist Demi Garvin determined the poisonous substance was undoubtedly the cause of death, as high concentrations of it were found in Stephen's body. THZ is commonly found in several brands of over the counter eye drops the most popular of which is visine. The chemical serves as a decongestant, which relieves redness in the eyes. According to a New York Times article, when it is consumed orally in large amounts, it passes quickly through the gastrointestinal tract and then reaches the blood and central nervous system. An overdose of THC can lead to drowsiness, respiratory depression, slowed heartbeat hypothermia, and possibly even a coma. The most frightening thing about THZ, it's collarless, odorless, and tasteless.
3: As soon as the toxicology came back, Lana was brought in for questioning, with investigators from the sheriff's office and the FBI listening in. The deputy coroner asked Lana about the vaccine in her late husband's system. She claimed at some point Stephen had heard from someone that if he put two drops of vacine in his coffee, it would help him go to the bathroom. According to Lana, he had been doing that for years. When the coroner informed her about the presence of THZ revealed in the toxicology, Lana immediately said it was Stephen's vacine. Investigators reacted with disbelief that a nurse would be unaware of the dangers that come with ingesting vacine. They theorised she likely knew it couldn't be detected in Stephen's drinking water. Detectives decided it was time to inform Lana that Stephen's death was suspicious in nature. As the interview grew more tense, Lana put a stop to it and returned home. But investigators followed her back to the mansion and resumed questioning her, making sure to record the conversation.
2: That's when Lana eventually confessed. In a clip played on 48 Hours, Lena told detectives, quote,
0: You know, I had this little table set up next to the bed with his tissues, his urinal, his medications, his visine. And I just saw it and just... (sighs) I was just so angry. I just took it and squirted it. I think I put the whole thing in. According to
2: CBS News, the amount of THZ would be enough to cause Stephen to stop breathing. Lena added that her husband had been sleeping when she delivered that fatal dose into his water. Yet, despite this startling admission, Lena maintained she didn't intentionally kill Stephen. She just hoped to make him really unwell. Detectives searched for any evidence to back up Lena's claims. Her husband had been abusive and found nothing except a report from the 2016 Crossbow incident. In retrospect, they wondered if the so-called accident had been Lena's first attempt on Stephen's life. After canvassing the neighborhood for witnesses, investigators received several amounts of Lena starting a fire in the backyard fire pit the day after Stephen's death. His nephew, Chris, is convinced that's when Lena burned Stephen's will. The suspected motive for his murder was now financial gain.
3: Shortly after the interrogation and confession, officers left Lana to her own devices while an arrest warrant was prepared. Sometime between when neighbors last saw her at around 9.30pm on the night of August 29th and 7am the next day, Lana had tried to take her own life. One neighbour reportedly went to check on her the morning of August the 30th and found suicidal notes on a deck table in Clayton's Yard. A detective's business card was also found on the table. The concerned neighbour called the detective directly and asked him to perform a welfare check. Police officers, firefighters and EMS workers were called to the scene. When they opened the back door, the gas fumes coming from inside were overwhelming. According to an incident report cited in the South Carolina Herald, Lana was found in an upstairs bedroom. She was unconscious, but still breathing. It would later be revealed she had taken pills and turned the gas on the stove way up. After receiving medical treatment and a brief recovery period, Lana Sue Clayton was arrested on August 31st, 2018. She was charged with first-degree murder a malicious tampering of food. She was held without bond at the York County Jail to await trial.
2: Lena was assigned two public defenders, Harry Dest and B.J. Baroclaw. Early on, her defense lawyers knew if the case went to trial, there was a high risk their client could face the death penalty. South Carolina remains one of 27 U.S. states where capital punishment is legal. To avoid this possibility, Lena was convinced her best option would be to take a plea deal. Lena's lawyers and prosecutors came to an agreement she would plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter and tampering with food or drugs on January 16, 2020. Now it was up to the judge to decide on an appropriate sentence. Her minimum prison term would be two years and carried a maximum of 50 years.
3: Verdict and Sentencing A sentencing hearing was held on January the 17th at the South Carolina Circuit Court with Judge Paul Birch presiding. Defence lawyers pleaded for a shorter sentence, arguing Lana had no criminal record prior to this offence. They also conveyed that Lana had endured sexual assault when she was a child and when she served in the US Air Force. These incidents caused her to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. While this ordinarily may have encouraged leniency, both assaults went unreported to authorities. There was no documentation to back up her allegations. Regardless, Lana's lawyers recommended the minimum sentence, urging the judge not to give the murderess more than five years behind bars. As documented in the Charlotte Observer, Clough remarked about the poisoning.
2: We believe it was this one time, with no premeditation,
0: and was done after incidents of verbal abuse.
3: According to
2: WSOC-TV 9, when Lena testified, she said,
0: I allowed these emotions to make me do something in a matter of seconds that I will forever regret. I... Did it impulsively put the visine in Steven's drink, but I did it with the intent to make him sick and uncomfortable. I was upset about the abuse and just wanted him to leave me alone. I never thought it would kill him.
2: In response, Judge Birch replied.
0: How can you maintain you did this to teach him a lesson when it is obvious from the facts that you let him suffer for three days? You ignored him!
2: Stephen's extended family were present at the hearing, hoping to see Lena brought to justice for what she did. Lourdes Alvarez, Stephen's goddaughter, called Lena's claim of being a victim phony. She said Stephen's family had been fooled by this devious and vicious manipulator and begged the judge not to be fooled by her as well. Several other family members made victim impact statements, All echoing similar sentiments at the hearing that lasted nearly four hours.
3: One point emphasized by Rosemary Clayton Leslie, one of Stephen's sisters, was accountability. She reminded the judge her brother's death may have never led to criminal charges had her family not insisted on toxicology tests. Lana could have really gotten away with murder. In leading up to his sentencing determination, Judge Birch addressed Lana. In video footage captured by local news outlet, WCNC, he commented,
0: This one takes the cake as far as being bizarre. What a tangled web we weave. Mrs. Clayton, you sure have tangled this one up.
3: Ultimately, Judge Birch met Lana's defense lawyers in the middle with their pleas for a shorter prison term. She was sentenced to 25 years at the women's only Leith Correctional Institution in Greenwood County, South Carolina. Records from the Department of Corrections state Lana will be eligible for release on November the 24th, 2039. By that time, she will be 74 years old.
2: After the hearing, Stephen's loved ones made several media appearances. Most of those who spoke publicly felt a 25-year sentence wasn't nearly long enough to remedy the hole left in their lives by Stephen's killer. One local, Frank Keefe, owned the restaurant Bagel Boat with a pilot editorial board, met weekly for several years. He called Lena's demeanor at Stephen's funeral stoic and shared with Inside Edition. His reaction to the news Lena had poisoned Stephen, he said, He was well respected. The family loved him.
0: I saw a lot of love. A lot of kindness. We received a call saying that the missus poisoned him. I will say that, uh, by outward appearances, they seem to have it all. Both
2: of Stephen's nephews, Chris Fagan and Nick French, appeared on 48 Hours to discuss the case. Chris speculated that his uncle's body had been found at the bottom of the staircase because he had been using his last ounce of energy to find help. Sadly, he was no match for the powerful poison that was slowly shutting his body down. Rosemary Clayton Leslie gave a statement on ABC's Good Morning America. When asked about her sister-in-law, she again focused on Lena's ability to be so deceitful.
0: She fooled one of the most brilliant men I've ever known in my life. My brother died a horrific death. I think my brother was screaming
3: for his life. It will undoubtedly take a long time for Stephen's loved ones to heal. His obituary conveyed just how cherished he was by all who knew him. It gives us a deeper impression of the man that he was. Completely separate from the strange crime that led to his death. He was described as a kid at heart, energetic, fun, and always ready to lead the next adventure. His exuberance for life, his captivating stories and his irreverent sense of humour will be greatly missed by all who knew him. The obituary also underscored the legacy of his business acumen by calling him an entrepreneur, a visionary and a brilliant business strategist with a passion for learning and critical thinking. Even though bringing Lana to justice doesn't bring Stephen back, his family is comforted by the closure of knowing she didn't get away with it. At the time of this episode's release, Lana Clayton has not been awarded any money from Stevens Estate.